show. I've had uh, many emails asking me where is Matarette and when he's going to be back. And uh, Matarette has been traveling the world trying to get people to see solutions to problems rather than dwelling on what they can't change. And he is here today to discuss many, many things. Thank you for joining me, Matarette. Always a pleasure to be with you, Mel Kay. Oh, God, you're one of my favorite people. And, and honestly, that's my favorite part about you. You not only know history, you know what worked. And didn't work in history. Uh, both of your books, The Clash of the Two Americas and then your books about um, about Canada are very, very good at pinpointing uh, solutions that actually did save the republic here multiple times. And we are in uh, one of those situations again, I believe. And we uh, I, I really am at a point where I don't want to dwell on what has happened. I want to dwell on how to reverse the damage uh, so first and foremost, your take, uh, since you've been all around the world on where we are in America and where we are in America in terms of geopolitically. Well, I, I think that this is a real, uh, we've come down to crunch time. It's a real moral test <clears throat> for the Republic. And I mean, for, as a Canadian, and sometimes it, it the, you know, it, it's interesting to come at, the, the 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 battle in history from the standpoint of somebody outside of the core battleground, which has been the U.S. Republic, at least for the past 260 years, um, that has been the core battleground for all of world history, I would say. I'm not trying to be uh, flattering to the American uh, psyche. I'm, I'm literally saying that that's true only because of the fact that the U.S. and Canadians are taught to despise this fact, but you know, that's due to the fact that we're, we've remained loyal to the British way of doing things and training our young in education. So the, the British Canada, though we sound and look a lot like our American cousins, are, have a very different cultural field by and large, which prevents most of us from appreciating, um, what, what occurred in 1776 as far as a new type of society organized around the idea that every single individual is sovereign. And that the idea of the laws, the authority of law comes from the consent of the the governed Um, and that every person is born with inalienable rights. That that is not something you get in Canada. In Canada, rights are given to people by a singular sovereign. It's right there in the, uh, the, the British North America Act. And implicitly, that also means that that singular sovereign, usually somebody, not usually, always somebody born into some hereditary power structure, in this case, it's King Charles III, who's going to be uh, coronated in a few days, um, can take those rights away if they so choose, right? The, the idea of rights is lame. It's so lame in the British uh, philosophical worldview. Very different from the idea of natural law of Plato, of Jesus, of St. Augustine, of Nicholas of Cusa, which, which said that, no, rights... Rights exist not because they're given, because right. rights aren't like a cup. R- rights are there because we're human and because we're made in the image of God with a soul, which is immaterial, but real. And that, that soul that gives, gives us, um, it gives meaning to concepts of dignity, of freedom, of justice, which you don't really find in the animal world. It's, it's really like might makes right in the animal world. And that's fine for the animals. Right. But when you try to transpose that onto humans, things don't work. We start getting really depressed. We start getting uh, out of, out of our nature and we start, you know, things just are, are, are wrong when you do that uh, for human society. So that that's the source and the, the, the declaration of independence, the constitution, 
And the whole fight to keep the Republic alive and growing and expressing itself for 250 years has been a bit of a miracle. When you consider how much effort has been put for gener- generations by the British oligarchy. And I would also say um, it's not just the British. It's also the Venetian, Habsburg. you got all of these inbred um, intermeshing families of Europe, right. which go back to the days of Babylon in many cases, <laughs> who have all been obsessively working to undo 1776 and and what they discovered early on is that doing it militarily is very difficult and they discovered that especially in the war of 1812 that they're incapable of breaking the u.s as much as they tried during that three-year war of 1812 they they, they call it 1812, but it really ended in 1815. They right. couldn't break the U.S. by an, an official British-run military uh, conflict or war. They had to do it from within, get the U.S. to destroy themselves from within. And that has been the game plan really ever since 1815, has been figuring out ways to to induce the U.S. to accept and um, its own self-annihilation. Right. Through the, the Civil War, which in a, I, I think you and I discussed in a, in a future podcast, we're going to do a deep dive on the Civil War, what, how the British instigated that. Yeah. And especially um, over the dead bodies of people like Lincoln, like Garfield, like McKinley, like JFK, there's been a constant effort to do that. So in, in many ways, we have a huge responsibility uh, because of the sacrifices that were made by so many generations of the past to keep the, the flame alive and to pass it down to the next generation. So there is there is a huge responsibility, but the crisis I don't think has ever been as big as it is today because not only do we have a danger of a nuclear war, I think that is bigger than at any moment that we had seen in this in the Cold War. Right. I mean, nuclear nuclear weapons are a new thing in human civilization's experience. So now we're actually we have that, and we also have a systemic breakdown crisis. We have never had anything similar to globalization on the order that we have today, with eight billion people on the Earth, and an a 40, no, 50 year enmeshment of corporate, uh, structures, financial structures over the authority of national governments, which really was unleashed with the death of Bobby Kennedy senior in 1968 and the opening up of the, of the deregulated, um, system of money worship of the 1970s under the, under the trilateral commission. Right. which created this new idea of America will now become a consumer society. We're not going to produce things for ourselves. Same thing for Canada. We're going to start becoming dependent like drug addicts on cheaper and cheaper labor from people overseas that we don't have to look at working in mines in Africa, doing cheap uh production in China that will just forever stay poor. And we're just going to be the the eaters forever consuming a consuming. That's that'll be our way of being good patriotic citizens is going to the shopping malls. Right. Um, that's insane. That was never sustainable. And it was designed to be a time bomb, which is now being blown. But the whole thing is sitting on this bubble of unpayable debts and speculative fictitious capital, which we're all being told we have to bail out. Like the first Republic bank is the last three banks that collapsed over the last few months. Right. Are bigger than all of the 28 banks that collapsed in 2008, 2009. So we, we have lost. Yeah. I mean, so we're t- being told to die and sacrifice ourselves to keep that thing going instead yeah. of just doing what we could do and has been done in America's past, which is break up the banks, flush all of the unpayable debts, erase it. It's never, it, it never existed in the first place <laughs> and then reorganize the banking system in such a manner. That would allow for the U.S. to get back to its historic traditions of of building 
industrial manufacturing factories, infrastructure, and working with our neighbors to, to do the same thing. Um, that's, that's, that's there for us. We could do that. And I think totally. that the current battle for America is if, if we're morally fit to survive and avoid world, world war three, right. um, it will be because we're, we actually are able to organize ourselves coherently around what I just said. Right. And whether it's going to be some combination of Trump and, and Bobby Kennedy Jr. or I don't know what configuration that that's going to take, right. but it has to, it has to be taken on the federal fight on that level to take back the country. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with that. You know, it's, it's crazy last night. And I thought about this and I was like, Oh God, I'm going to see Matt tomorrow. Um, I, I rewind. I've seen JFK many, many times. Oliver Stone's JFK. And uh, I've read Garrison's book, which I happen to believe is absolutely what happened to him, uh, to JFK. But, um, you know, there's still little pieces here and there, but that's the best, uh, in my opinion, uh, laying out. Uh, which was done years ago, and and of course Oliver Stone was vilified and and canceled, uncancelable when you're that good. But uh, anyway, um, so I was watching it, and there's a scene in that where um, Garrison, played by Costner, is coming down the stairs of the Lincoln Memorial, and a guy that is, uh, I think, tells the whole story of what why he, he said you have to look at the three things when you look at who killed JFK, why, who benefited, and who who can cover it up, and when you get that. And, you know, and that's when he talked about senior executive service and, and all the layers above the, the, the government and all this stuff that seems to have become a revelation in the last three years. But that guy's telling that story in the sixties and it's the story barely changed. And I, I encourage my, my audience, if you've never seen that movie JFK, this particular scene between Donald, Donald Sutherland, who was X, he was told them to call Mr. X and uh Garrison Costner. It's about a 10-minute scene. But when you watch that, it is a little disheartening to feel like not only, and, and he says, this will start a cover-up that will become a cover-up on top of a cover-up on top of a cover-up because none of these people that are involved will ever allow the truth to come out. And but but he's also talking about the military. He's talking about black ops, which in what he's saying, we now call color revolutions in a lot of senses. He's talking about a lot of things that have happened all the way up because he was the inside guy doing them. And then he said everything changed that day because they had sent him away. Um, this guy in the movie says the same thing. He was sent to, uh, um, I think the South Pole on some meeting. He didn't have to go on because he was like the head of this. He, and he was explaining. He was a Colonel, uh, Colonel Fletcher Prouty. Yeah, yeah. So, so what he did though was he explained, um, how it was like there, there wasn't secret service there. They weren't, all the windows would never have been open. There would have been a feeling of the military. Like he's just going through all the reasons that he believes and it changed his life when he, mm. re- when he looked into it. But what I'm getting at it, and I was, I, I, I had like a sad moment that I've never had before. And I thought, oh my God, we are still dealing with the exact same situation. And, and yeah. it's, and, and, you know, for the American people, I think part of what you're talking about, the solutions will also have to be a coming to terms. Uh, you know, people that go through recovery, I've been talking about, we need like an Americans anonymous 12 step program, but you know, <laughs> like, but people that go through recovery, they hit rock bottom. One of the solutions from people I know that have been saved by those programs is, uh, there's a saying, you're only as sick as your secrets. And I feel yeah. like America has, after that point and the way he described it, and then you, when you think forward and you think that is what happened, it was like that was so huge that everything that came after, nobody ever goes to jail. Nobody's ever tried because opening any one of those wounds is going to open them all. 
you know, if you've done properly and it's like a house yeah. of cards. And I yeah. just feel like the one, one of the solutions maybe for uniting the people, cause I say right now, if you think you're left or right, Republican, Democrat, independent, anarchist, I don't care what you are. You're either on team save America or you're not in my opinion yeah. right now. And, um, I feel like it's that point where America is as sick as its secrets and as painful as it may be to face up to America and because it's not we the people, but it is our money and it is our military and it has been a lot of propaganda and mind control to convince us to back something that you pointed me to uh later, way after JFK, like the PNAC document, all this stuff. It's all the same people and intertwined and the SES and all this. But I do feel like America has to start really saying, well, what happened here? for real, like the fearless and moral inventory that they go through in, in uh, recovery and say, let's be honest about, yeah. about America. And, and I think yeah. that we need a big dose of that maybe. No, I think you're right. I mean, the, the only, I mean, Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia made the good point that, you know, we, we do want to have good relations with our American counterparts, but unfortunately they have to sober up first. And part of the, the getting into sobriety as anybody who's been through Alcoholics Anonymous will attest is you have to admit that you're an alcoholic. Right. You can't lie to yourself. You can't tell yourself these illusions anymore. You, and you could see the, the type of toxicity with the family structure whenever there's an alcoholic, you know, father, that's managing the system or mother or whatever, both, yeah. you know, there, there's a lot of secrecy, which just makes the thing ripe for, for toxicity right. um, and dysfunction. Um, and it's only when you can admit, just say the truth. Okay. Stop lying. Right. And then we can begin a process of thinking through a recovery. And frankly, when you look at the type of um, philosophical outlook of Russia right now, and right. over the past, especially 20 years, the, the, they're they're exhibiting what a healthy sober um nation is it does when it doesn't when it, it when it rejects a death cult um ideology which was dominant in Russia in the 1990s Russia was dominated by a death cult ideology managed by George Soros the CIA had open branches sitting like controlling the entire Russian nuclear military arsenal the nuclear uh, sector George Soros had a field day managing his stooges. Um, they created a synthetic uh, oligarchy of low-level, you know, Washington and London loyalist uh, oligarchs that would buy up all of the former state-run enterprises um, <clears throat> in the 1990s. Right. There's a whole story. Like, you know, and, this, this and Yeltsin, the alcoholic. <laughs> Yeltsin, the alcoholic that nobody was allowed to say was an alcoholic, but everyone knew he was an alcoholic. Yeah. You know, he was like <laughs> very clearly the like set up Bill Clinton bragged and it was on time magazine in 1997 that the U S poured a billion dollars into getting Yeltsin reelected in the Russian campaign. And they're talking to us about like Russian influence with no evidence. And the U S openly bragged that they poured that much a billion dollars into a Russian so-called democratic election in 97. 